Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. I'm out here in the snow. And Natasha, I presume that it's cold in Jersey, but the news is hot. How are you doing? I'm doing lovely. I had an espresso martini last night and I'm still thinking about it. So that's how eventful my day's been so far. <laughs> are, are you thinking about it because it was so delicious or thinking about it because you're still hungover? Or did it <laughs> keep you delicious. awake at night? <laughs> <laughs> I need to just stay up till 11 p.m. sometimes and this is my answer to it. <laughs> what time do you normally go to bed? <laughs> like 8.30, no, 9.30 in bed, sleeping by 10.30. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm impressed. I, I can't process that. Marianne, uh, hi, how are you doing? I hear it's warm in Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a high of 79 today. And here I, I'm like so eager to bust out my cute sweaters and hats and, you know, I'd look dumb. So I have to wait and I'm a little annoyed by that. Why don't we just swap houses for the winter and I'll come to Texas where it's warm and there are tacos and you can come here and shovel my walk. <laughs> Okay. Seems like a fair trade to me. <laughs> we, we joke, we jest, but there's quite a lot to get through. Even though it is the winter period here, the news has not slowed down much. So today we have funding rounds from three excellent companies, Pariti, True North, and AgentSync. We're going to talk about executive movements over at Lyft and kind of what the crypto world has to do with the public markets. Promise that'll make sense when we get there. The Trump SPAC deal is doing things and we have to talk about that. And then we're going to wrap up with everyone's favorite story, better.com and how to not fire your company via Zoom and then become an international laughingstock. But <laughs> Natasha, first up, we have Pariti, Harlem Capital, $2.85 million raise. Tell us about this Kenyan company. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we all know that Africa has been on a tear this year with funding. Kenya is one of the countries within it that I specifically have been paying attention to. So much great talent coming out of there. And Pariti is the latest example. They are a marketplace that basically is building digital infrastructure, as they describe, for startup ecosystems. So they really help founders who have companies submit their pitches, submit their companies for review and feedback from experts who then give them next steps, help them even get access to funding or execute deals. So I would think of it really as one of those tools that we take for granted living in a more developed startup ecosystem looking in Kenya, even though it's been on a tear, this is basically them trying to bring people together and give them access to the knowledge that may be common in other geographies. Marianne, have you heard about similar startups in the Latin American market? Because this was this was somewhat new to me. And I, I had a little bit of trouble parsing this business model. I think I got there, but it took me a second. Yeah. You know, actually I haven't, maybe I did like a few years ago, but I feel like since Latin America is a, is a little bit more mature, you know, we're not hearing about this sort of thing as much in that region. But I have to say, I love this company and I just think what they're doing is really cool. What's interesting about this round is Harlem Capital here in the U.S. led their seed at $2.85 million. I think that was the first investment out of their latest fund in an African startup. I don't know if it was their first ever into an African company. And uh, to Natasha's point about Africa, we've got stats that the continent has minted six unicorns in the last year. That's after taking nearly 10 years to get its first. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, a great data point that shows just how much things have accelerated in Africa. Also, Natasha, the, the most interesting stat out of this story to me was the fact that a number of companies have actually used this platform to kind of get into Y Combinator itself. Yeah. So Pariti helps them get a score after they submit their company for feedback. And so they had a really interesting metric where they say that companies that score over 70 have a 50% likelihood of connecting successfully with investors. And then companies that score above a 78 have an 8x likelihood of raising capital. That in mind, what's your first reaction to that actually? Well, we need I a mean, <laughs> having been raised in the American school system, I just have letter grades associated with numerical so scores. <laughs> and so I'm like, if you get a C minus, there's a 50% chance of getting an investor. If you get a C plus, there's an 8x. And I'm just like, 
I would have changed the system a little bit to make the numbers higher. So at least it's a B plus, you know, come on. Yeah. I'm remembering <laughs> no, my middle school accurate. grades conversations with my parents. And I'm remembering the, the panicking fear that I would have about possibly getting a grade they didn't like. I know. I mean, I think it's a good point because also if you're like a 95, do you even exist on this platform? Which is one of my questions, right? Like what quality do you need to be in order for this to be useful for you? Like you said, I think five companies have gotten into YC after using Pariti and YC in an interesting way would somewhat be a competitor of sorts because mm-hmm. it's also offering those early resources you need to understand your company, figure out issues. And so Pariti is kind of, I think, in a gray space, a useful space, but a gray space mm-hmm. long term. It's a good point. Of how it needs to like serve these early stage startups. No, I, I absolutely like that. I'm just curious about the business model here. So far as I can yeah. tell, they've built software to support investors, experts, and startups. And so essentially they have software built for three different groups and how they kind of come together is part of the magic here. Um, it'll be just fascinating to see where they can extract the most uh, value in the form of revenue from what they've built and uh, how quickly that can scale up. Obviously, there's quite a lot going on in Africa. So their, their market is the right one for what they're doing. I'm just curious to see how much money there is to be made here. And Alex, I'm curious too, like, do you think that there's like a fund opportunity here? Like, will it be a YC or what? Of course, there's a fund opportunity here. There's a fun <laughs> opportunity walking down the street. You see a lemonade stand, you can write a billion dollar check. Let's go. <laughs> but I mean, to your point, yes, if you have access to all this information, if you have founders already engaged with your platform, if you already have investors you could co-invest with or provide even lead capital. Yeah, there's an obvious fund opportunity here. You know, if I was an LP, I would be on a plane. Yeah. But I, I'm not an LP, except for unless you count giving Petco all my money for dog food. Yeah. So, well, yeah. when I first read the story, that was actually my very first thought was like, is this a fun for very early stage startups? So right. I can definitely see the potential. Also, that solves the business model question because funds do fine, as they say. Next up, we have True North, all one word, capital T and a capital N. They just put together a $50 million round led by Sam Altman and I think also Lockie Groom, who was previously early at Stripe. This is a company I'm very excited about because I think that trucking is a very, very neat part of the world and True North works in the trucking space, but not just that. It's actually, Marianne, the independent trucking space. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. Independent truckers make up 10 to 20% of the industry. So True North is out to help them manage their customers, find, book, and coordinate loads, optimize routes, invoice those customers, and collect payment. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. We talk a lot about vertical SaaS. Why wouldn't this industry get that? Especially because when I think about trucking, I don't think high tech. I think, you know, people driving long form trucking and like, you know, clipboards with pencils. So I, I think this is pretty exciting. We've heard a lot, though, about trucking startups. There's been startups working on logistics platforms and other kind of like support for the system. I wonder how do we know when we kind of reached like full startup status for an industry? Because there's a lot of people working in this space, Natasha. And, you know, I don't know when there's too many. Totally. I mean, just to add another data point, Cloud Trucks is another startup that just two weeks ago closed on 115 million in Series B funding. But better yet, its founder was True North's founder's former boss. (laughs) The world is so small. And I think the way that Jen Stedge talked about it when Connie interviewed her was that, you know, obviously all great news for market validation and growth. I think we see a lot less focus on independent truckers and more on how to sell to enterprises, which seem like they would be an easier sell. So I still, I guess feel like the independent trucking business doesn't get as much mainstream attention. Yeah. One of the questions that TechCrunch had when we were talking about this round, when we wrote about it, was how they actually go find these truckers and bring them onto their platform. One of the advantages of selling to an enterprise or a large business in the trucking space is you get tons of trucks at once. Ha <laughs> ha. One sale, many trucks. Independent truckers, almost like by definition, are probably one to two trucks is my guess. You know, a much smaller concern. So you're going to have to add them together piecemeal and how to go find them is tough. So far, mostly inbound is my understanding. And that seems to have worked so far. But with $50 million, they're going to be able to afford some billboards. 
it'll be interesting to see how you actually go out and find these people that are on the move and often without cell phone reception if you're going over the Rockies, for example. It definitely gives me like trucker creator economy vibes where they're like first helping all these people become their own mini businesses and then eventually will expand into much more lucrative business vertical. Trucker creative economy vibes <laughs> is the best sentence I've heard all week. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think also I, I, I like this because I, I feel like these independent truckers that don't really get much attention or appreciation and they have a really hard job and they usually have to wait like a month or more to get paid. So there's that fintech component like this company helps them get paid a lot faster and that's important for them. So I could see where word of mouth is a big driver of acquiring customers. For sure. And if you're not sure why getting paid earlier really matters, think about this from the consumer perspective and the business perspective. On the consumer front, companies like Chime that are neobanks have made you know a pretty big dent in the market by offering consumers their paychecks a little bit early. And this is possible because people like Chime often have your direct deposit set up. They know when a check is coming. They don't mind fronting you the money a little bit. For consumers in a cash flow crunch, awesome. You don't have to dip into credit, not dipping into payday loans, etc. Pretty good. On the commercial side, uh, if you're a smaller provider, you just might not get paid for a while. Right. And your your recourse is shouting. I mean, you don't, not much. And so if, if True North can effectively allow you to know when you will get paid for a job, you will be less dependent on loans and you can better run your business. So it, it's just one of those things that makes sense. And fintech does actually mm-hmm. unlock. Right. So trucking is obviously like a vertical that is still hot and antiquated. But insurance isn't. And that's why I was surprised that we saw a Series B company become a unicorn this week. Alex, tell us about Agent Sync. Yeah. Okay. Wait, though. Can I just say that that hot and antiquated is like my life goal? <laughs> like that's that's what I'm shooting for. Uh, Retirement. Yeah. Life. No, my goal my, my goal is to hit 60 and, and still look just as terrible as I do today. Uh no. Um Agent Sync. So this is one of my, my favorite companies for a couple of reasons. One, I've been covering it since its seed round back in oh my gosh, I'm dating myself. Somewhere in 2020, if I recall correctly. It was uh, only together... August of 2020, Alex. I mean, you know, that's feels insane. like a lifetime okay. ago, but <laughs> August of 2020 is 17 years ago, if you didn't know that. It's actually, uh, that's how far long ago that was. Uh, But they're back. And so from this $4.4 million seed round, the company went on to raise a bunch more capital. They actually, I think, raised essentially three times within about a year. And they're back. And so I I talk to CEO Niji more often than I talk to most people because he's always doing something. So the gist is, AgentSync, APIs for the insurance market, shuttling data back and forth between different participants in the insurance market, started off with broker licensing data and it has expanded since, raised $75 million at a $1.2 billion valuation, which is up roughly 6x from its March Series A valuation of $220 million. Whew, sorry, that was a lot. Natasha, I feel like we're becoming kind of inured to that kind of rapid valuation growth, like, a, you know, just plus a billion in the year. Not a big deal. Casual. And I think also like a line from your story that really struck out to me and sums it up well was that AgentSync as a private company is now worth what other neo insurance providers, Root and Metro Mile, are valued on the public market. So yes. talk about discrepancy. Actually, a lot more. If I if I'm recalling correctly, Metro Mile is only valued at about three hundred million right now, three twenty or something like Jeez. that. Yeah, Metro Mile has fallen apart. Uh, Root has lost a lot of its value. I, and, and not to be rude to Root, but I think if I recall, it's essentially its cash position is essentially equivalent to its market cap, which means that the business is not valued much. And so what's going on? <laughs> well. There, there's two ways to approach the insurance market, and you can go ahead and become a neo insurance provider, which is you know having your own policies and writing your own coverage and working on the economics and trying to use tech to tune your models to have better returns. A couple of these companies have been public, and it's gone poorly so far. It's kind of the gist of it. I, I've talked to a lot of these folks over the last 12 to 18 months. They all work really hard. 
the markets are treating them like uh, a house guest that won't leave. Okay, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> On the other side of the market, there's offering tech to support the insurance market, which is what AgentSync and kind of other people are doing. Very lucrative. We all know the APIs make money. And so to see AgentSync do this well is uh, not a huge surprise. Can I talk about revenue just for a second? Is that okay? Do it. All right. And going back through my various notes, having talked to this company more often than my mom in the last year, <laughs> in August 2020, 1.9 million ARR, give or take. By December of that year, based on what they told us and some estimates, probably between three and four million ARR. They were under the 10 million ARR mark in March. And just kind of given all that and some numbers, they shared about three and a half X ARR growth year over year, probably somewhere between like 10 and 15 million ARR today. So... Huge valuation, implied very large revenue multiple. Company has a lot of growth ahead of it to kind of grow into this, but certainly nothing that we haven't seen in other companies. So investors are not slowing down, y'all, is kind of my gist here, even if you're in an industry that has seen some uh, lackluster SPACs and uh, public offerings. Well, maybe that's why, though, because like maybe they, they have the potential to help these other companies make more money or do their jobs better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the trucking company Tree North and, and AgentSync have more in common than I think is obvious up front because they're both taking industries that are still replete with like procedural requirements that are old fashioned and trying to drag them by the scruff of the neck into the modern world. And that's a big job. I mean, like trucking is a couple of hundred billion a year, I think, and insurance is more than that. And so there's so much work to be done here. There's there's so much space to build. It's, it's hard to tell who's going to win per se, but like it just this is the digital acceleration in startup form. Yeah, it's kind of less sexy too. it being AgentSync than Root. Like Root has gotten so much love because it's consumer facing and it's all about convincing people to understand its really cool mission. But AgentSync, you wouldn't pay attention to unless you are Alex Wilhelm or someone who... <laughs> is a recipient of it, which it sounds like would not be just like the average person. No. So yeah, I think in that way, like that might be also why I'm talking out my surprise a little bit is like maybe the consumer facing companies got all this reputation and got all this hype around mm -hmm. them and the quieter giants are where we'll see the actual wins. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about Twilio versus like Snap and the, and the different levels of yes. coverage right now. I don't have their market caps pulled up in front of me, but it's not like Twilio is not worth much. And yet Twilio, which makes developer tools that traditionally allowed for kind of like telecom work uh, via an API, is a pretty freaking great business, if I'm being totally honest. I've been reading their quarterly reports for a long time now, but it gets probably, what, what one and a half percent of the coverage that Snap has gotten? Because Snap totally. is consumer facing. And essentially, if you touch consumers, you get more coverage because people care right. versus they do not care about other things. One last little note before we move on. Agencing is founded by a married couple, which I like. We don't see that too often. Yeah, they were very cool. proud to say that they're the first insurance startup with a married couple <laughs> founder and duo to become a unicorn, which is cool. But I'll also point out that I'm the first Alex Wilhelm to write more than a thousand stories <laughs> in this particular office chair if we're going to pull it together to small wins. But what's fun is the CTO is a woman and the CEO is a man. So we're seeing uh, the technical side be led by uh, a non-man, which is not something that we see too often. And uh, Jen Knight's fantastic. So fun to see. All right. Love now, it. let's talk about Lyft and OpenSea. And going public. Natasha, there has been some drama on the tweets. Talk to me. Yeah. So some background for people who don't track executive movements as obsessively as journalists <laughs> is that usually when a company hires a CFO, it can be a sign that they are preparing to go public because they need to button up. And I think other than Palantir, I've never seen a company go public without one. So we're picking at straws here, but that's usually a sign of some sorts. <laughs> So this week, we saw Lyft's CFO, Brian Roberts, announce that he is leaving the company to become the CFO of OpenSea, which is, if you forgot, the NFT marketplace that we've talked about on the show has had its fair share of drama this year. 
And I think it triggered a bunch of rumors that OpenSea now might be going public, a crypto company going public. How do we feel? I mean, my first thought, Natasha, is that I'm freaking excited. I know the OpenSea business model, which is that they take, a, I think it's a 2.5% cut of transactions. And so I've been going to uh, the excellent dapradar.com, pulling up the OpenSea charts and tracking their revenue because I don't have enough friends. And that's been a very good game to play. And it indicates to me just how large the company is. Uh, if you yeah. think of about a 2.5% cut of you know, 50 to $100 million a day in transactions, it adds up quite quickly. And so that's why I think they're hiring the CFO. That's why I think they do want to go public eventually. But what we saw in this particular case was a collision in culture between finance in the traditional sense and finance in the crypto sense and kind of like what community means. And so you know, Marianne, when I saw people complaining that, you know, going public for OpenSea wouldn't be the right path and they should introduce a, a governance token and decentralize a bit more, it really seemed to be like cultures coming together uh, with swords drawn. Yeah, I mean, I'm still very skeptical about NFTs. So, oh, we you know. know. We know. <laughs> no, we, we've heard. <laughs> yeah. But, but having said that, I mean, OpenSea is what, already profitable, according to Roberts. And like you said, they're making a ton of money right now. So... I mean, he even said, according to Bloomberg, that it would be foolish not to think about going public, right, when a company's growing this fast. But however, then he backtracked, right, and said, you know, we're not saying right now, we're just saying probably eventually. Anyway, I mean, to a point that you had made, Alex, is probably true that if they are going to go public, they probably need to do it sooner rather than later, because yeah. NFTs are hot right now, and we don't know how long they're going to stay hot. You know, even inside the last... 12 or 18 months, we've seen NFTs spike and then decline. I mean, think about how we went from NBA Top Shot being the hottest thing in the world to the Bored Ape crypto punk uh, moment. And then now we're seeing, of course, Axie Infinity do quite well. It, it's kind of hits driven. If you look at the data, it goes up and down. And, you know, I, I would say NFTs are kind of like um, an exponential form of the crypto market and that the, the crypto market itself is somewhat swingy but it has matured to the point in which its movements compared to NFT spikes are actually relatively modest. And so this is like a, a higher volatility crypto space. So I would go public because I, I just pulled the data in the last week, according to Dap Radar, OpenSea had 485 million in total volume, which works out to just over 12 million in revenue in the last week. Woo! That's Jesus. a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking about EdTech during this, and it's been a while since I've brought up EdTech on this show. But I know when those companies were soaring, we saw a couple think about SPACs as a faster way to go public. Why not go when you're in the spotlight to what we're talking about right now? And we also saw these companies not want to wait any longer. And I, so it, it does feel like in a way, this is what SPACs were made for. And we're going to talk about them in a few minutes. But I had to bring that up now. It's like OpenSea and SPAC sound like they go together. I'll just say it. I'll make the prediction now. Wow. Wow. Okay. So uh, I'm just trying to imagine what would happen if that happened. Because if you look at other exchanges, I'm going to butcher this a little bit. We're going slightly past my my knowledge base, but Rarible and Super Rare, I think, are the other two kind of major NFT marketplaces that have introduced governance style tokens, if I recall correctly. And the gist here is like, how do you properly bring liquidity to a company that is backed by traditional assets and, and lives in the decentralized world? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can try to bridge the gap by going public and offering a governance token. But you have to keep in mind how antithetical that is to the recent push in the venture world of giving founders and investors super voting shares. What is the opposite of decentralized? Super voting shares. What do VCs love? Super voting shares. What do VCs also <laughs> love? Decentralized <laughs> I, I don't know how to fix that. 
you know, I don't even know if you can fix that, but uh, it's going to be a mess that, because that made people, my brain hurt, actually. Yeah. The irony and just the confusion of it. It's hard to parse because if you do give up control by offering a governance token, you give up some control by definition, unless you give out a bull governance token and then you don't, but then your community hates you and they go somewhere else. So yeah, here's a question that I have. Why do crypto companies ever raise regular money? Because it seems to just get them in trouble. Like they, they, they end up in this terrible situation of trying to serve two masters. Yeah. My friend is the founder of a crypto company and he was telling me how he's actively said no to investors and just let them buy tokens mm. at a slight discount <laughs> because it doesn't make sense to bring on their incentives. And I was like, wow, like you actually had an answer to that. That's interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Flip that around though. The investor should pay a premium. The, 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 <laughs> the, the regular folks should get a discount. If you have 10 friends and one of them's an investor, who's paying for lunch? You know, right. like come the on. investor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there, there's a lot to unpack here over time. But I, I will say, though, that the, the, the poaching, if you will, of Lyft's CFO is big news because Lyft is a public company. It's worth somewhere between five and 30 billion. I forget the number off the top of my head. Didn't write that in my notes. <laughs> it's worth some number of billions of dollars. It's a sure. well-known company. Just hit just EBITDA profitability. You don't give up that perch unless there's something very exciting to go do. And so that, to me, is a vote of confidence in the company's numbers and, uh, and progress. But let's talk about another exit, another former lifter. Natasha, it seems to be a bit of a theme here. What's going on with uh, the climate market? Yeah, so if you're not going to crypto, you're going to climate. And then if you're not going to climate, I think you're going to the metaverse <laughs> is like the three buckets for 2022. <laughs> so yeah, this week I published a story about the former Lyft CSO, Raj Kapoor, teaming up with the co-founder of Freestyle Capital, Josh Fessler, to found Climactic. And it's an early stage VC firm investing in startups that are working to fix the climate from specifically the enterprise angle. So a lot of companies have come out and said that they need to hit specific emissions goals by 2050. And so they believe that there will have to be startups that help you get there because government, as much as it will pay attention and do the things, startups move a lot faster. So that's what the whole funds pitch is about. And I like that they're not coming from traditional climate backgrounds. They're coming from more of a, we know how to do business and startups and we're going to help climate scientists who maybe stay in their orb go elsewhere. Yeah. Marianne, their pitch was that we don't need to be like the smartest people in the room on climate because we'll help you with your services and your strategy. If you were an early stage founder, would that work? Or do you think that you need to be both the smartest climate person in the room and also a great entrepreneur who can execute on business? Okay, I'm going to make an analogy that you might not agree with. But I mean, how many journalists study journalism in school, like got degrees in journalism? Uh, uh 30%? Don't look at me. Don't look at me. I don't know. Small percentage. But the yes. point the point is, is that you don't have to have a journalism degree to be a really good journalist. In fact, many would argue that if you don't and you majored in something else like political science or business, that actually can help make you an even better journalist because you're you're well versed and knowledgeable about other topics. Right. So you can write about them. Yeah. So I feel like this is a similar situation. Right. You don't have to necessarily come from that kind of background. So I'd look more about what they're good at and what they've done historically and, and base my opinion on that so much that more than like whether or not they have this strong history in climate tech. I'm actually familiar with one of the investors here, uh, Josh Felser, Josh Media on Twitter. I've known him for a thousand years. Actually, I think this is this is far enough in the past. I can just go ahead and talk about it publicly. Too late. Um, I, <laughs> now I, what? I almost went and worked for uh, Freestyle Capital, oh. his firm, but before I joined TechCrunch, actually, wow. I interviewed there, and they ended up picking someone else, and so I, I came to TechCrunch. And uh, gr thank God, because I, I think I would have made a shitty investor, and you know I'm glad I ended up where I am. But so I spent time with this guy, and I've known him for a long time, and uh, 
I think he actually gives a is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think this is a, this is a put on thing. Mm -hmm. I think this is an actual, like he cares about this and wants to work on it. And bringing business expertise to the scientific community is a good idea. I just, I just think it's smart. It also just like translates it. I think we all agree on this point. Climate tech startups definitely need to be better at pitching themselves and communicating themselves to the average consumer or even average enterprise decision maker. So that's what I'm most bullish on for any generalist investor or newcomer to the climate category is like you're not so in the weeds that you're going to over explain or overcomplicate something that doesn't need to be. Yeah. And I just want to throw in some other notes before we move on to our last two topics. There's other funds out there working on similar stuff. Chris Saka's lower carbon capital has, I think, yes. like $800 million. 2150's fund is like over 300. There's uh, the Wavemaker Impact Fund. I think Kapoor is a limited uh, partner in VSC Ventures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of folks working on this. So certainly not just this company. There's there's a lot of, of money going into this. The question does you know become how good do the returns look given the historical re return profile of green tech, but we'll see. I'm more optimistic than I was before. And I look, we're going to be quick about this next one because there's not <laughs> that much to, to say. Did you guys see that the Trump SPAC deal is under some uh, government uh, oversight, if you will, or regulation? No Shocking. <laughs> I've never heard of a Donald Trump associated business ever getting in trouble with the government. So this is uh, this is some breaking news, guys. Right. And if you didn't note that, that was sarcasm. Hopefully that came through, but I totally could see it not. <laughs> my, so my, thank you. Yeah, my spouse was informing me that my sarcasm sounds like I'm telling the truth, which is, I think, the point of sarcasm. But hey, you know, what can you do? <laughs> the gist is this. The Digital World Acquisition Corp, or DWAC, is merging with the Trump Media and Technology Group, or TMTG, in a SPAC-led combination that will take the Trump company public. Now, what is TMTG, you're asking? Oh my gosh, how have I missed this? You haven't. It doesn't exist yet. It's not out. They're building something called Truth Social. Uh, which has missed a deadline and appears to have ripped off Mastodon code. By the way, they're in trouble for that too. And then they announced a $1 billion pipe or private investment in public equity for their SPAC deal. Didn't say from whom the money was coming. Suspicious. And then it turned out that the guy who put together DWAC, the SPAC, uh, had actually talked to Trump before he actually put it together, which is kind of against the rules. So lots of drama here. The takeaway, I think, just briefly, is that the SPAC boom is behind us. I think the BuzzFeed SPAC deal showed that it's uh, risky at best. And uh, SPACs are uh, a garbage way of taking the trash out from the private markets. And uh, so I think we're seeing more of that here. Agreed. Moving on. Better.com. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to totally confront you on a headline you used six months ago, Alex. As I was prepping for this show, I found a headline that you wrote called, Not Every SPAC is Pure Garbage. <laughs> In, so, my, in Alex, my defense, there, there were, <laughs> there were, <laughs> look, I was so excited. Okay. Um, Open door, right? Is okay. But the majority, we don't talk about Keith Reboy on this show. The majority <laughs> of them, I mean, it just felt like an easy way to go public. And it, and what is it they say? If anything comes too easy, then it's usually not. Not worth it. I believe it. That sounds good. My point is you really have to work hard to get something great. And so like, if it's coming to, the SPACs are coming too easy, that says a little something. Yeah. And uh, that does bring us to the final news story of the day, which is another yes. SPAC deal uh, or a, a possible SPAC deal, a delayed SPAC deal. Perhaps you might even say the best SPAC deal, the better.com of SPAC deals. Marianne, oh, what's no. going on? Well, it feels like maybe just because I've been living this, everyone's talking about better.com and all the drama over the past week, I'll summarize very quickly in case you haven't been paying attention. Better.com last week announced they were getting $750 million up front from their SPAC that they're planning. They were planning for the fourth quarter, and they were all enthusiastic about this. Next day, 
we find out they're laying off 9% of their workforce. They did it over Zoom, made headlines because, I mean, they're not the first company to mass layoff over Zoom. Totally. But right. this one just got a ton of attention, mainly because the CEO came across as a, a really insincere, cold jerk in the process. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and so this this like made headlines all over last week. Well, then this week, things only got worse. As things just came out, right? The CEO of, in the past, he's been the subject of many a lawsuit from investors, former co-workers, apparently a guy that was at the best man at his wedding. He, you know, the whole thing was handled so badly that we find out PR heads, communication, head of communications, marketing heads all submitted their resignations this week. Wow. My favorite is that the emails are coming out between the CEO, Vishal Garg, and uh, his investors. And just, I didn't know you could treat people like that. And stay and stay at the CEO. Like, Natasha, if I sent you that email, you would one tell me to go f myself and then you'd go work somewhere else. Like 100%. like and I would post it on Twitter. Like oh, I'm sure. surprised it didn't come out faster. But I also get this is how this is why it doesn't come out faster, because these are people in the highest positions in charge of your livelihood. So it is great to see it finally. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's had this reputation for a while for being like a bully, being kind of a jerk. And now like everyone's unleashing and people aren't holding back. He tried to apologize and I put apologize in quotes. He sent a a (laughs) written apology to current employees, admitted that he blundered the execution of the the layoffs. Obviously, the apology didn't go over well with anybody, right? (gasps) Shock. So, you know, he's dug himself into a deeper hole. The SPAC is is reportedly delayed. The next question we're all asking is, how much time is it going to take before he's forced to step down or resign? I mean, really, like, how can anybody want to support this company in any form, whether it be as an investor or customer or an employee, with, with a so-called leader like this one. I think that's the big question. And, and and it reminds me a little bit of Adam Newman. I mean, they're both kind of prop tech. They're both soft bank back. Adam Newman was forced to, to step down and resign. And I'm, I'm expecting the same here. Yeah, I guess that was going to be my follow-up because I did see the Newman comparison through you and a few other people. And to me, it felt a little different in terms of fraud versus not fraud. But maybe this is just me being cynical these days. But I'm like, not going to be surprised if we see better.coms back in a few months and we see this blown under the rug. I just I always wonder when it tips over into Newman firing territory or being asked to leave territory yeah. or when it's like an apology is fine. Well, the investors are going to want to sweep it under the rug because they want money. Right. And in, in capitalism, ethics comes second to shareholder return. And that's just how things are structured. The, the issue here, the reason why he might get fired isn't because he was a jerk. That seems to be totally fine because certainly the other investors knew, <laughs> yeah. you know, that he because they were copied on these awful emails oh, and they so said true. diddly. So by the way, shout out investor courage. Right. Leadership, yeah. guys. Leadership. Well done. <laughs> Good job defending your returns at the expense of other people's mental health. Fuck yeah. I'll just say this. When you do lose the confidence of your executive team and your leadership in general at the company, when they all quit, that's when the stool under the CEO becomes increasingly one-legged. And nice. uh, you can't run a company by yourself. You just can't. It's, it's, it's too complicated. Note, last note on this, I, I went back to the, the investor deck from better.com and it's, it's back deal. Looks pretty good. No, no. When was that? When was that investor deck? That was a year ago? Some time ago. Okay. A lot's changed. So first of all, better.com was making a lot of money off of refinances last year because everybody mm. and their brother was refinancing their homes with these historically low interest rates. That's died off. 
that means a big drop in revenue for better.com. I saw that they what lost $100 million in the third quarter or something like that. So all of this, I mean, this the $750 million advance, I'm guessing was because they really needed the money. Okay, you know, they needed the money. And then the subsequent layoffs. So I think a lot changed over the past year. I don't think the business is as strong. Not to mention, I mean, this this has made headlines everywhere. Like I was driving in the car the other day and heard a local radio host or whatever mention it. I mean, it is being reported everywhere. People everywhere are talking about it. I mean, there's memes. Yeah, there's memes on TikTok. I mean, for some reason, this has blown up and that that's just not good and i think even investors who want money recognize that's not good for the bottom line either yes but uh, marianne can you name the three largest venture capital backers of better.com offhand that's why they're going to get away with this softbank is one of them but softbank doesn't give a shit softbank's name has always been dragged through the mud they invested in zoom the mobile pizza company didn't give a shit vision fund 2.0 let's go masha yoshi-san does not care what we think but i just want to say the fact that they went viral is the business dream of everybody everyone wants to go viral and get free marketing However, what's he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. don't go viral for being an ass. Right. Yeah. Here's the thing. Now, every single time people are fired via Zoom, people are going to be recording it. You can now no longer fire people via Zoom because it will be uploaded and you will become a pariah. Thank God. Thank God. Let's, let's actually just like establish that now as like the new must have if this is unfortunately happening to you. Record it, send it to equitypod at techcrunch.com, and we will take care of it for you. <laughs> and by take care of it, we mean put it immediately on the website. I, I would like to say one last thing. Uh, this isn't over. I mean, stuff is coming out every day about better.com and, and Vishal's, again, so-called leadership. So this isn't the end of the story. And yeah. uh, just to close off on that note, because so-called leadership from Marianne is equivalent to a tirade of profanities from me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have one more Friday episode next week, and then we have a couple of holiday episodes. And so we're kind of at the end of the year. So everybody, we will have an episode out on the 24th. We'll have an episode out on 31st, a, our look back and our look forward. We'll have Equity Monday and we'll have Equity Friday next week. And then that is the last four shows of, of the year after this one. So nearly there. We made it. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Barely. And now we're all going to go take a nice nap. Goodbye. <laughs>